0: All right, we are
1: in the uh, Corinthian letters. Paul uh, commanded that his letters be read in the congregations and that they read the ones from various congregations and so added to the tradition begun by Ezra of reading the Torah and uh, systematically. So the, uh, the, the letters of Paul and the Gospels were added in the church so that all of those were read in a systematic manner. So we are studying the letters. We've been through the first uh, letter. We're now in the second letter. We're at uh, chapter 6 uh, today. Uh, Paul's purpose for reading for writing these letters was to reestablish his relationship with the Corinthians. His first letter was a rebuke uh, based on their fractionalization, their disruption, ...of unity by claiming uh, to belong to one of several ministers... ...or dividing over the spiritual gifts or over doctrines. Uh, They fought over all kinds of things, but they were united in one thing. They were allowing gross and public sin to be in their midst. So he rebukes them, forces them to remove that sinner. And in in this letter, he's providing comfort. And that comfort requires reconciliation both to God... And to each other. He reminds them that they're in a transition. From this world to the kingdom. And that the purpose of the new covenant. Is that very thing. Uh, the former covenant. Which is still in force. Uh, as long as this creation exists. Uh, Yeshua said. Was weak through the flesh. So Paul says. What the Torah couldn't do. Weak through the flesh. Nothing wrong with the Torah. The problem is us. Uh, God dealt with in sending his son to condemn sin in the flesh, not get rid of the Torah. And through that, ultimately, there would be resurrection. And in the resurrection, we will be able to fully obey God, and the commandments will be brought into full operation. Uh, That's what it means to fulfill them, not to fulfill them so they can be checked off and removed, as is often taught. So he lets them know that uh, the commandments are the same in both covenants. Remember that uh, God gave them gave Israel commandments, said put these on your heart, but that was the problem. And so in the new covenant, God says I will put them on your heart. So as I suggested before, if you think of this as the commandments as the furniture of a house, and the first house can't really contain the furniture. It just isn't going to work. That's our old bodies. In the new uh, body, the furniture is going to fit perfectly. So as I often say, if you don't like the commandments of God, you're going to hate the kingdom of God because they're going to be in full operation. So in the process of that, uh, Paul says, but we're suffering in this life. And this suffering, uh, unless it is because of our sin, is a sharing in the sufferings of Messiah." So that the glory that will come in the fullness of the new covenant in the kingdom uh, will be uh, much greater than the glory of the first. In fact, he compares the glory of the second to be so bright that it gives the appearance of the other one not having glory. It's not true it doesn't have glory. But the brightness of the glory overshadows it so that the other glory seems to fade By comparison. When these bodies die, he tells us, we are with the Lord, but we are not complete. We actually long to be in our heavenly resurrected body. uh, Not to be naked. We were created to be embodied spirits. We will forever be embodied spirits, but part of a new creation that made after the resurrection. So the resurrection and the return of the Messiah will bring full restoration of this creation and ultimately a new heaven, new earth, and a new creation uh, at the close of that kingdom period. In this transition, then, Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. That is, by trust and not by sight. And that has implications for us. We no longer are to know people and live in the context of this creation. We are the beginning of the new creation and we must live in that context. We live for the Messiah. And Paul says an odd thing. And we talked about that last week. We don't even know him after the flesh though we had known him. So we don't relate to Jesus as he was on earth. We relate to him As resurrected and sitting at the right hand of the Father, ready to come to receive both his bride and his throne, the throne of David over the house of Israel, where he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now while we wait for this transition... The gospel is being sent through the apostles as a ministry of reconciliation. And Paul then talked about that reconciliation, and he's going to pick up with that as he moves into chapter 6. And so I've just covered all of that up till now. So in chapter 6, Paul says, Working together with him, that is with God, who is sending his message through his apostles. We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the accepted time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So he says that he and his fellow ministers are working with God in this reconciliation ministry. And that they are also encouraging, urging that the Corinthians not receive the grace of God in vain. That's a fascinating term, receiving the grace of God in vain. That really means to receive the grace of God to no real purpose, to vanity, to meaninglessness, to a worthless sense. So, I want you to uh, understand what Paul's saying, because he's going to address this a little further in the letter. So, let's just go there now to take a look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. As he's closing the letter, he says, in verse 5, Test yourselves. King James says, examine. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? But I trust you realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Wow! So what's the test? Well, a lot of people would say, have you said the words? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? That's not the test. The test is whether He's actually there. The test is whether or not There has been a change as a result of your faith. Otherwise, you are believing in vain. You are believing to no purpose. Uh, This is not layaway Christianity, where you say the magic words, you go on with your life, and then one day he comes and gets you. It is, a, as this Lenten season is, a uh, a self-denial taking up your cross and following him. This life has suffering. This life is not the victory. This life is not the blessing. This life is the suffering with him that the glory may be in the resurrection and in the kingdom to come. And so Paul tells him, check and see if you really are in the faith. Is the Lord really in you? Is something going on in you that has that is transforming you and bringing you into kingdom purposes in that sense. Now, another apostle tells us how to examine ourselves in the same way. Uh, That's John. But before we do that, I want to take a testimony from John that's found in his gospel, John chapter 13. John's gospel is different than the other gospels. In that he spends an enormous amount of his writing to explain that Last Supper, that those statements of Jesus to his disciples uh, just before he dies, and in John chapter thirteen verse thirty-one, John testifies of this. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now the Son of Man uh, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him." Uh, if, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little longer and you will seek me. And as I said to the Judeans, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot go. And these next words are critical. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The sign of discipleship, the sign that you have believed not in vain, is that you are beginning to develop in your being the three great commandments. To love God with your whole being. To love your neighbor as yourself. And the sign of discipleship of Yeshua is to love those who are your brothers, one another, fellow disciples. Now John tells us that. What what Jesus is talking about here is unity. So in 1 John chapter 2... John is going to give us an explanation of that event that he heard uh, Jesus say. He says, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. He's going back to the Torah. He's going back to Genesis. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, "...which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness... And walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, John tells us that we know we are the children of God if we believe in the one whom God has sent and we love the brethren. So there's the test. The test is not do you have perfect doctrine? They fought over doctrine. We're still fighting over doctrine. The test is not, do you have a greater ministry going on than other people? The test is this. Do you love the brethren? Do you know who the brethren are? Are you able to see the remnant in Israel and those called from the nations who are genuinely struggling with that faith and connect relationally in love as Yeshua did with his disciples. Uh, That is the test. The test is not a theology test. The test is not a uh, church attendance test. The test is the great commandments. Loving God, holiness. Loving your neighbor, righteousness. Loving one another, unity. We're doing a terrible job of showing ourselves as disciples. Now Paul's saying this in this context because he's saying if you're reconciled to God, you're going to be reconciled to your brethren, and that time is now. This is the day of salvation. Oh, God, we'll all be loving one another in the kingdom. No, we're in the ki- we're in the kingdom now. Waiting for the kingdom to be full. And so that should be beginning to happen among us now. Now is the day of salvation. Not then. So in that context then, we go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 6 uh, verses 4 to 13. So I'll pick up the pace here. He says... "...giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love... In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, unknown yet being well known, dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making others rich, as having nothing yet possessing all. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained by your own passions. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Paul says, look, Silas, Timothy, Titus, all of us, who have ministered to you and function with you, even though Paul's rebuked them. And you know, after somebody rebukes you, you don't feel too good about them, and he's trying to get his place back with them. He says, look, we're not trying to manipulate anybody. We're being honest, and we're making sure that the ministry is not damaged by our behavior. But we are going through very difficult sufferings. That is not a sign of rejection of God. That's a sign of the fruit of the Spirit enduring in the midst of those problems. So that the light will shine in the darkness. So they endure the hardships so that they can show genuineness to God. And even though they suffer, others are being blessed by their ministry. And they desire to be in a comforting fellowship with the Corinthians. He says an interesting thing here. I've just been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Verse 12, he says, you are not restrained by us. You are restrained in your own affections. The scripture says, and Paul reinforces, as much as depends on you, Be at peace with all men. Do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Well, I will if they will. That's not the commandment. The commandment is not, give back in kind. The commandment is, be like your father. He gives reign to the righteous and the unrighteous. Do good. Be holy. Walk in faith. Suffer and endure, showing your genuineness to God. And be in relationship with one another. So we have to ask ourselves, who's avoiding being in relationship with you because of you? That you can fix. If they're avoiding being in relationship with you because of them... You can't fix that. That's what he's begging. He's saying, our hearts are open to you. There's nothing nothing between us. The only thing between us is whatever you fear or whatever you're concerned about. So open up. Be in relationship with us. I work pretty hard. It's not my nature. I work very hard to stay in relational connection with people who I have very different theologies from and very different methodologies from trying to maintain that if the Spirit of God is in them and they're struggling, even if I think it's wrongly, struggling to be obedient and I'm struggling to be obedient, we are brethren and therefore I must... I must try to maintain and keep that unity. The unity of the spirit in the bond of love. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It never says the unity of the spirit in the bond of doctrine. It is the world that turns every little point on its head. If you're paying attention to any of the discussion that's going off after this terrible tragedy in Florida... There are people who ought to care about each other, who are ripping each other into shreds over their solution to the problem. And none of their solutions are all that good, tell you the truth. But they have lost relational connectedness to each other over ideas. The sign of discipleship is that we love one another. So, Paul's begging the Corinthians whom he has rebuked and who are not too sure that he's really an apostle after all. Look at all that junk that's going on with Paul. Everywhere he goes, there's trouble. Everywhere he goes, he ends up in jail. Everywhere he goes, he's shipwrecked. Doesn't sound like the blessing of God. Maybe he's not like the other ones. He's going to have to justify that in the rest of the letter. And he's going to argue that his sufferings are the sufferings of Christ. And that his fellowship is a genuine fellowship in truth and by the Spirit. So we are to be reconciled to God and we're to be reconciled to one another. That's what the new covenant is all about for Israel and expanded among the Gentiles who know the God of Israel. So we pick it up at verse 16. I'm 14. Fascinating. It, It almost sounds like he's changing subjects here. He's not. He's still talking about a reconciliation to God and a reconciliation to each other. And by definition, that is going to draw lines. If I'm to be connected to this group, I may not be able to be connected to others. And so he says... Do not be bound together with unbelievers. The sign of our discipleship is that we love one another. So it naturally follows that if we're spending most of our time and most of our relationships in the context of unbelievers, we're not doing it. So he says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership Have righteousness and lawlessness. What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. Just as he has said. I will dwell in them. And walk among them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. This reconciliation to God, this reconciliation to other believers, this focus towards the kingdom to come, is not this. It's not one foot in the body, the church, and one foot in the world, kind of lean in this way. It's also not one foot in the world, one foot in the body, lean in this way. It's one foot in this world and one foot in this world, the next world, the world to come, and leaning this way with those who are headed in the same direction. Because we're not doing this alone. We're doing this in community. Not just immediate family. Not just immediate congregation. But the body ...of Messiah... ...beginning with the first... ...to hear the gospel... ...and to respond to the gospel... ...the Israel of God... ...and then those from the nations. So Paul says... ...holiness... ...that's what he's talking about... ...unity does not remove holiness... ...holiness has to be maintained... ...we always have to maintain holiness... We always have to maintain righteousness and we always have to maintain unity as much as depends on us. So he says, there's no partnership between righteousness. Now what is righteousness? Obedience to the commandments. That's righteousness. It's walking right. What's the opposite of that? Lawlessness. I thought the opposite of obeying the commandments was grace. No. No that receives grace in vain. Grace is what holds us in the struggle towards obedience. Now, that doesn't mean we're saved by our obedience. God forbid. But you know this, and I've mentioned this before. We could all be ten times more obedient to God and we'd be in no danger of earning our salvation. And anybody who knows you knows that. Right? Right? So, the reality is, we're striving, as Paul said, whether alive or dead, to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, but faith trusts him and obeys. So, no partnership between righteousness, commandments, and lawlessness, Torahlessness. There's no fellowship, koinonia, between light and darkness. What happens when you turn on the light? The darkness is gone. It's just that they don't go together. What harmony is there with Christ and Belial? This is a word that means worthlessness, but it's an association with Satan. What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? And then he says, We are the temple of the living God in our faith, in our coming to the Lord, are making the statement, Jesus is Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, no one can say that. He's not saying you can't mouth the words. No one can really say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that connects with our spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is that awareness that we have been born again by the Spirit, desperately wanting to transition our minds to kingdom things, that's the transformation of our mind, in in completely certain hope of the resurrection when the body also will be saved, that is our hope and the passion and the direction of our life. And so we, not me, I'm not the temple of the living God. You're not the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God, which means we must have fellowship with one another. We must have partnership with one another. We must have harmony with one another. We must have agreement with one another because we are brethren. God's placed His Spirit in us So we must walk in unity. Now we pick this up at verse 17. He said, I'll dwell in them, walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. But there's a condition. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Fascinating. I uh, did some searching of every time God says, uh, I will dwell in them and walk with them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. All through, God reminds Israel of that constantly. And then we find in the book of Acts that through the mystery of the gospel, Paul uh, opens that door to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles come alongside Israel in, in those promises. Not replacing, but alongside them in the context, as the prophets had also said. But here he says, come out from their midst and be separate. Well, we need to know what this is talking about. There's a primary verse that gets associated with this and it's found in the book of Revelation chapter 18. Says After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Well, who's Babylon? Well, this is a series that we could do. I'm just going to give you the thumbnail. This all starts at Babel. The Tower of Babel. When humanity united and said, we don't need God, we can do it ourselves. We don't want to be scattered, we want to be unified. Not unified in him, unified in ourselves. And he scattered them and created the nations and scattered them around the world. So Babylon is the world. And then God took Abram and said, I'm going to create a people. The only culture God ever created. I'm going to create a people and they are going to be a light to those Gentiles. And I am going to manifest myself through them and my Messiah through them and and my gospel will be first to them and they will illuminate and shine so that the world will see there's a different way. There's the way of the God of Israel and the Israel of God. And there's a way of the world, and that's Babylon. And that's why John says, right after we read that passage where he talks about the commandments and loving one another, he says, now if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You have a choice to make. You're going to live in this world, or you're going to live in the next. If you live in the next It's not here yet, so you're a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. And you need to know the family members that are scattered around so that you connect to them and that you love them, showing that you are a a disciple. The disciples need to know each other. And we will know each other, and they will all know us if we have love one for another. So then he says in verse 4, Another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid. Give her back double according to her deed. The cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. So the idea here is that God is going to ultimately judge this world and therefore we're not to be part of it. We're not to make this world our home. We're not to say how much of the world can I have and still make it to the kingdom. We should be focused on the kingdom and say how much of this world do I have to put up with. It's a very different mindset. Very different worldview. So, To live in the restored kingdom and in the new creation begins in our homes and in our congregations and in our relationships with believers that are our primary relationships. In doing this, we maintain the unity uh, in holiness and it requires cleansing ourselves from the defilements of the flesh and the spirit. So look at chapter 17, I mean, yeah, ch- uh, chapter 7 of of 2 Corinthians. These chapter settings are not always what they should be. So having said that, come out from her. He said, "Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness" In the fear of God. He's going to beg them to reconnect with him in that context. Because remember, he's trying to get reconciled with the people of God. Uh, and, And he's basically saying, we didn't move. You moved. But we're open to you. The only thing holding you back is your wanting to stay where you are. So it requires us to cleanse ourselves from defilements of the flesh and the spirit, the body and the mind. And perfecting holiness in the fear of God because a judgment is coming and we will stand before the bema seat of Christ. Interesting that Lent is really a copycat of the month of Elul and the days of awe in Judaism. The month of Elul and the days of awe are the time of preparation in anticipation of the day of atonement. And uh, Jews provoke one another unto love and good works. They reconcile relationships. They clean things up anticipating that. And the book of Hebrews says that. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But consider one another to provoke provoke unto love and good works. And all the more as you see the day coming. What day? The day of the Lord which is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur has only been partially fulfilled. Now why is the church doing Lent? Because the partial fulfillment was the cross. And the ascension into the right hand of God, and the return will come back and complete the rest of it. And so in the same way, 40 days before Good Friday, the Christian beginning of Yom Kippur, we enter into a time when we say, let's clean up our act. Let's focus again on the kingdom. And focusing on the kingdom is not about, I'm cleaning up my act and you're not that clean. It's us cleaning up our act and getting our relationships back together so that we enter into Passover and we enter into uh, Holy Week focused on what it means. The cross was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself that we would come to the Father and we would be brothers and sisters together. We can't serve two masters. If we love the world, we will hate God. And if we hate our brother, we show that we hate God. So we need to love God in holiness. We need to love our neighbor in righteousness. And we need to love one another in unity. Because we are The temple of the living God. Let's pray.